0: Uh, Luke chapter number five is where we're going to be at today. And uh, if you listen quick, I'll try to preach quick, but I give no guarantees. We'll see what happens. Luke chapter number five. And we've been in a series for quite some time now. uh, And I've, I've entitled it Refocus. And as I've said each week, we have so many things that can distract us, that can distort our view, uh, a lot of things that come into our lives that uh, cause the Lord to be a little bit blurry, if you will. And so as we're going through the, the Gospels here, we're trying to stick with uh, somewhat of a chronological order, but as we're going through the Gospels, we are looking at what Jesus did, what he uh, taught, how he interacted with people, uh, the things that he uh, focused on and prioritize uh, his personality, his character, all of these things to see who Jesus is, to see what he's like, to get our attention properly on him as it should be. And so, what we've seen last week was Jesus dealing with uh, the apostle Peter before he was ever an apostle. And we often think of Peter as just hearing the Lord say, "Follow me," he left all, and he followed him immediately. <clears throat> Excuse me, but. Going to go say, <clears throat> but anyway, we learned through that that it was more of a process that occurred. That Peter was kind of uh, following afar off, he was trying to get a feel for who Jesus was, what he was like, and he believed in Jesus, but he wasn't quite sure if he was willing to leave all, to forsake all, and follow him. And so, through that, we saw that. Likewise for us, salvation is free, belief comes, and it, uh, salvation is a result of us putting our faith and our trust in Christ. But just because we are saved, just because we are believers, doesn't necessarily mean that we are followers of Christ. But that is a complete different matter. Uh, we observe Him, we learn from Him, and over time we learn to trust Him. We realize that he is much more capable of directing, and of guiding, of ordering our lives, that his ways are better than our ways. And so over time, as we get to know him, we put our lives in his hands. We allow him to be in charge. We allow him to be in the driver's seat, if you will. And we did say there is a cost. There's going to be some things that you may lose. There's going to be some things that you may miss out on as you're following Jesus. And that tends to be the things that we focus on, isn't it? But we found out that as we're following him, we're going to miss out on a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache, a lot of uh, hardship because he is going to lead us through it. He's going to lead us around it. And the benefits of following Jesus far outweigh the cost. We found that uh, Jesus compensates his followers well, both in this life and in eternity Mm -hmm. to come. And so the encouragement from that is, yes, observe, uh, read about him, learn who he is but give your life over to him and let him direct your paths. Allow him to order your steps, because he can be trusted with your life. And he will do with it things uh, much better than what you can do yourself. And so the, there is the path from disbelieving to truly following Jesus. And so today what we're going to find is Jesus is going about teaching and preaching and doing miracles and healing, and people are coming to him and seeking him out and desiring things of him. And as he comes to a certain town, we'll see that there is a man with a big problem that comes to him, a man who has a case of leprosy, and he is seeking healing. And uh, as he comes to Jesus, uh, Jesus is going about doing these things, and people are drawn to him, but Jesus didn't come to just heal physical ailments. Jesus didn't just come to heal the things that are outwardly seen, but Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his priority. And the people at that time uh, were so caught up, so tied up in his healings and in his miracles that they were not coming to him for the right reasons. And we'll see that even more so probably next week. But Jesus came to heal what was causing these problems, not just to heal these problems because we know that all sin, or excuse me, all suffering, all sickness, all of these things that occur to us today are a result of the fall. It wasn't part of God's original intention for there to be sickness and disease and pain and suffering, but it came as a result of sin that works death in our members. And so basically, uh, the things that we're seeing Jesus heal and the things that he is working on up to this point are the outward symptoms of what he came to truly heal People from. Okay? And so that's something good to, to keep in our minds. And so the miracles recorded in Scripture, though, are there for a reason. Uh, there's only a small sample. We, we find that the Apostle John says that if he would record all the things that Jesus said and done, that the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. That's pretty incredible, right? Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but there's some uh, 30-some or 40-some miracles recorded in Scripture that Jesus did. But there are plenty of places where it says that he went about healing everyone who came to him, that there were multitudes that were coming. They were lining up probably for hours or days or maybe even weeks seeking him to heal them, seeking him to do something in their life. And so many of those existed, but there's only a sampling that's recorded, and there's a purpose behind them. And so we're going to look at Jesus healing this leper, and we're going to see the significance of it today. So let's look at Luke chapter number 5, and go with me down to verse number 12. It says, And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face, and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself unto the priest, and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together, to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Let's go to the word in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the day. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just praise you for uh, all that you do, Lord. And we just ask you that you would be with us here as we look into your word once again, as we seek to to draw these things out and apply them to our lives. I just pray that you would uh, just... Bring back to remembrance the things that we've studied. Guide my thoughts and my words that I could say the things that are are helpful and true. And be with each person here that they would gain from the service exactly that which they need, Lord, to strengthen them, to draw them closer to you, Lord, to uh, build them up in their walk with you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that don't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would uh, turn to you and put their faith in you, Lord, to forgive their sins and save their soul, that they would begin that walk with you. Lord, if there's anyone here that's saved and struggling uh, or maybe doubting or or whatever, I just pray that you minister to their need and draw them to you, Lord, and just show yourself uh, very real and available to them today. And we thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's a fairly simple account, short passage. I usually read longer passages, right? And so a man came to Jesus. He had leprosy. He says, I want to be healed, and Jesus heals him. And he goes away and he tells everybody contrary to what Jesus tells him to do. That's simple enough, right? But as I said, every every one of these miracles is here for a reason. And whenever we look at leprosy in the Bible, uh, we find that it takes a pretty prominent position, doesn't it? Have you ever noticed how often leprosy is mentioned? You ever come across a case of leprosy today? It's estimated there's still around uh, between 10 and 20 million cases of leprosy in the world today just not in the area that we're at. And so there's still leprosy in the world today, but we don't really think too much about it. But we read about it quite a bit in scripture and we find it mentioned over and over again. And we do know that leprosy was a serious disease. It was a fearsome disease that everyone tried their best to avoid and stay away from, that it was an incurable disease. Basically, it was a death sentence to anyone who had it. So they would try their best to stay away from it. But like I said, the Bible refers to it a lot. If you've ever read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's several chapters there that you probably skipped over that talk about leprosy. It tells about how to identify it and what to do about it and talks about leprosy even being in houses and buildings and on people. It talks about hairs and scabs and spots and blemishes and all kinds of weird stuff. And like I said, a lot of people just kind of skim over it, go past it. But why does the Bible spend so much time on the thought of leprosy? Is there any other disease that gets that treatment? We, uh, as a monthly person, you basically have spiritual leprosy. You know, you're, it's okay. a death sentence. Yeah, it's a death sentence. And so we find that there is a type that exists. There's no other, no other uh, ailment, no other sickness that is alluded to so much in Scripture because leprosy is a type, an illustration a picture of sin. And that's consistently used throughout scripture as a type. Yes, it was a real disease. It was very much a real disease. But what better way to get the idea across to people who were sinful than by illustrating it with one of the things that was the most feared and the most dreaded amongst the people. Uh, We could compare it today and be more like AIDS. Remember the AIDS epidemic back in the, uh, the 80s and 90s, right? Those who are old enough to remember it. And so it was something that was feared. It was something that was troublesome. It was something that went around. And in similar way to uh, leprosy, it was something that was considered a sentence. It was something that was incurable, right? There's ways to treat it and different things now, but I don't want to get too much out in the weeds in that. But as I said, it is used as a type or a picture of sin. And so for the next little bit, I want to use this illustration of leprosy to show us the seriousness of sin, Okay. Show us the seriousness of sin. We would all agree that sin is serious, right? Yes. We'd all agree to it. But do we always live and act like it is? No. It's a different story, isn't it? And so we categorize sin. We excuse sin. There's little ones and there's big ones. And, well, at least I don't do that one. Everybody accepts this one. There's not really anything bad with that one. Isn't that what we do as... Human beings and as a society, as a culture, is we begin to dumb down sin. We begin to play it down as if it's not anything that bad. You know the difference between a big sin and a little sin? A big sin is one that you commit. A little one's one that I commit. Right? Isn't that what we do? And so all sins are harmful. All sins are serious. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus came to this earth to bleed and die is because any sin is capable of separating us from God and sending us to hell. All of the people that you talk to that say, well, it's not that bad. It's not that big. I can always go back to the Garden of Eden and say the original sin that plunged all of humanity into sin and pointed them toward a devil's hell is simply disobedience. God told them, don't eat of the fruit, and they ate of the fruit. And every single one of us has done something greater than that, right? All of us have disobeyed God. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. And so when we start categorizing it and all these things, we have uh, already caused ourselves great problems, haven't we? We've already dumbed it down to the wrong, wrong extent here. So all sins are harmful. So the first thing I want to look at here is the problem assessed. This man came to Jesus as a leper, And so what would his life have been like? We don't get a a backstory. We don't get his biography along with that. We don't hear a whole lot about him. He comes and he is a leper, not just a leper. It says he is full of leprosy. So the disease isn't just starting, but it is full-blown. It is affecting his entire body. And so from this, we know that there was a point in time that this man most likely was not a leper. That's simple enough, right? And so this man was not a leper, and maybe he came in contact with a leper, or maybe there was just a spot that came up on his skin. But he began to watch this spot. He began to observe it, and he was fearful from the very beginning that it may be something wrong. He probably lied to himself. He probably tried to say, no, it's not what it looks like. No, it's something else. It's probably just a a mosquito bite, right? It's not what it looks like. It's just... Uh, uh, just a bruise. It's just something else. He, he'd make excuses about what it was. But over time, it became more and more apparent that it was more serious than he thought it was. And eventually it came to a point in time that he had to go to the priest. That's what the Old Testament said that the Jews were to do, right? They went to the priest. The priest was to look at it. And he was to uh, observe certain things about it. And if it met these certain criteria, then the priest would diagnose him and say that he was a leper. And that diagnosis changes this man's life from that point in time forward, okay? From that point in time, he cannot go back to his home or to his family. He cannot go back in the city. He has got to be cast out of the city. He's got to live to the outside. Oftentimes, they would move into leper colonies. He couldn't come in physical contact with anybody who was not a leper. The only people who would be able to touch him were people who were already infected with the same disease that he was. And so he has to say goodbye to his wife, to his kids, to his family, if he had any of them. He'd have to leave his job, all the previous identity that he had. He may have been a husband. He may have been a father. He may have uh, been a uh, construction worker. He may have been laboring somewhere. He may have been an advisor to royalty. He may have worked in the temple We don't know what kind of a job he had, but all of those things faded to the background. All of those things went away. And the man who was once known as dad or as uh, a husband or as a laborer or worker or whatever position, he's now known as a leper. That becomes his identity. That takes over everything about him. It changes every relationship. It changes every activity. It changes everything that he is, everything that he ever will be. He knows from the time he gets that diagnosis that this is a death sentence. He says, this is how I'm going to die. I'm never going to see these people again. I'm never going to be embraced by my wife, my kids, my family. I'm never going to be shown love, care, or affection. I, everywhere I go, people are going to be afraid of me. I have to announce my coming and say that I'm unclean, and I'm going to have to <laughs> live on the fringes of society, outcast and disdained by all people until the day that I die of this loathsome disease, and I crumble up in a leprous pile, basically, and take my last breath, and most likely don't even get a proper burial, but just fall out in the field as some animal to lay there and rot. That's pretty depressing, isn't it? Aren't you glad you came to So this is what this leper had to look forward to, but in this man's life, there is something different that happens because he happens to live at the time that Jesus is on the earth and he is ministering. And so as he is observing from a distance in his rotting and putrid sense, he is listening, he is seeing the works that Jesus is doing, and he says, that man can change my life. And he works up the courage, and he comes, and he calls out to Jesus, and he says, If thou wilt, you can heal me. And Jesus reaches down and touches him. You realize this may be the first human touch that he had experienced in years? Mm -hmm. Jesus reaches and heals him, and the crowds are gasping, How can he touch a leper? Does he not realize the severity of that? And he touches him and the leprosy departs, and his flesh is made just as clean and as pure as the day that he was born. And everything changes whenever he meets Jesus. That's that's huge, isn't it? But whenever we're considering this problem as we're assessing it, let's look and see what leprosy would do to the person. Let's rewind a little bit before this guy meets Jesus and just look and see what leprosy does and how it relates to sin in our lives first thing that leprosy does is it separates. It separates. Because whenever this man became a leper, whenever he was diagnosed with leprosy, he was unclean. And we read a lot about uncleanness in the Old Testament, right? He was ceremonially unclean, which meant that he could no longer take part in religious life. He could no longer go to the temple. He could no longer offer up sacrifices. He could no longer uh, participate in the rites and the rituals. He could no longer do any of those things because he was now unclean. What that pictured is that he was then separated from God, right? Because if he couldn't come into the temple, if he couldn't bring his offerings and his sacrifices, if he couldn't go through the ceremonial rituals of the law, he was separated from God. And we know that sin separates us from God. For those who are unsaved, their sin separates them from God and it uh, gets them bound to a devil's hell eventually. If a person dies in their sin, then they are going to be eternally separated from God. But for us as Christians, if you're born again, if you're saved, your sin is not going to take you away from God's love. It's not going to take you away from his mercy. It's not going to cast you out of his family. There is no way that we can lose our salvation once it's obtained but it does separate us from our fellowship with God. Whenever we are living in sin, even as children of God, we are alienating ourselves from the blessings and benefits of being his child. We see this illustrated uh, in one of the parables that Jesus tells, where he talks about the the parable of the prodigal son and how the, the prodigal son willingly leaves the father and puts distance between him and the father so that he can go out and live in riotous living, And he was still the son of the father. He was still beloved of the father, but he had chosen because of the things that he was doing and the way that he was living to put distance between himself and God. And so whenever we choose to have sin in our lives, whenever we choose to live in that state of sinfulness, we're not going to be cast out of heaven. We're not going to lose our salvation, but we are going to lose our fellowship with God. We're going to lose those blessings that he would bestow upon us. We're going to lose that comfort and that joy and that fellowship that comes as a result of being close to him and being in his will. And so we sacrifice many things for the sin that afflicts us, for the sin that we dabble in. And so sin, like leprosy, brings separation. But it doesn't just separate us from God. It also separates us to, not just from, but to. Because whatever the lepers were separated from God, they were separated from family, friends, and all these others, and they were separated to other lepers, right? And so as we are allowing sin to take its place in our lives, as we are allowing it to run its course and do its thing, it separates us from God. It separates us from other godly people. We start putting distance between ourselves and other believers. We start having offense toward them and we start being more drawn to other people who are dabbling in the same things that we are. They say, Israel loves company, right? But see, if everybody else is doing the same things that we are, we can feel okay with the things that we are doing, right? Whenever they sin just like we do, we don't have to feel guilty about our sins. Does that make sense? It's what ends up happening where we're entertaining sin in our lives, we're drawn to other people who are doing the same things because we don't want the conviction, the condemnation, that we are living unrighteously while other people are living righteously, right? Isn't that what happens? And so it pushes us away from God, away from God's people, and it draws us to other people who are partaking in the same things that we are. Next thing that we find about sin is that it doesn't just separate us, it's also contagious. It's contagious. If You get around a leper The closer you get to them, the greater the chance is that you're going to gain that disease, right? We know about contagious diseases after the past couple of years, don't we? I wasn't going to say the word. I'll leave it up to you. (laughs) But we know about contagious diseases. And so whenever we, we look at this, you know what the leper had to do whenever he contracted leprosy? He had to cover his lip. He had to wear a mask, right? And he had to social distance. He had to keep much further than two meters away from people, because he was contagious. To be around the leper put you at risk of receiving that leprosy as well. And whenever we surround ourselves by sin, when we get too comfortable with sin, whenever it starts not becoming a problem to us anymore, whenever we start entertaining it, whenever it starts entertaining us, then suddenly we are at risk for it to contaminate us, for it to come into our lives and cause the problems that it does. And so we need to treat sin as if we would leprosy, as if it was some sort of a contagious disease and put distance between ourselves and the things that are going to defile. And so it is contagious. And so you start spending too much time around sin. You say, oh, it's okay. I can say no to it. I can resist it. It's only a matter of time before the things that you are surrounded by are the things... That you're taking part in. Uh, one of the best biblical examples of that is Lot. And we've talked about him quite a bit lately. Lot started pitching his tent near Sodom, and next thing you know, he was living in the middle of Sodom, and it no longer bothered him. And whenever he was delivered from it, it said that his uh, soul was vexed by the filthy conversations. He said that the things that he had experienced down there, he couldn't shake. He couldn't get it away from. There were scars that remained because. Of him being around that and catching onto that sin that was in Sodom. And so that brings us to the next point. Not only does it separate and it's contagious, it also defiles. Defiles. For a leper, everything that he touched was defiled and was unclean. Okay. Imagine, if you will, back during COVID, did you want to pick up masks? That was they were defiled, weren't they? That was unclean. It's like, if I pick that up, if I touch that, then it's going to contaminate me, right? If I touch where someone else has sneezed and they wipe their hand on, it's contaminated, right? Everything that the leper touched was contaminated. Everywhere that he had been was contaminated. It was defiled. And it's amazing to me the ability that sin has to defile everything that it touches, You realize even the most noble and even the most sacred things that God has created, sin can defile. Look at what it's done to marriage. Look at what it's done to family. Whenever sin enters in, even some of the greatest institutions that God has made, sin defiles it. It amazes me man's ability to take even pure things, even holy things, and to corrupt them. And so sin has that effect. It defiles everything it touches. Another thing, this is interesting to me, it numbs. Whenever we think of leprosy, we think of like flesh rotting off and people losing appendages, right? Is that what you think of? Think of some other going, oh, I don't have an arm anymore, right? It fell off. I had leprosy. But the reality about how leprosy works is it breaks down the nervous system. The first thing to go is the feeling. And so the fingers and the hands and the arms go numb of scares me a little bit. I've been having problems with that. Maybe I got lepers. Anyway, no. The first thing that goes is you lose feeling in your hands and your fingers and things. And so, what it would happen is the lepers would be much more accident prone. They would not be able to feel. They would not be able to touch. And so, they would be uh, picking up injuries along the way. Uh, they could be working. They could be cutting wood or something. And oh, there went my finger. Didn't feel it. But also, that opened them up to infection. And they couldn't tell that there was a problem until it was too late. And that infection would fester and it would ooze and it would start consuming the skin. And that's where we get the idea of the leper missing fingers and missing toes and missing limbs. Is it was a result of the accidents and the infections that would take place that would cause the body to break down and to decay. Okay? And so it has a numbing effect. You realize that sin has the same effect on us is that it desensitizes us. It numbs us. The things that used to bother us all of a sudden don't bother us anymore. We are oblivious to the problems that it is causing. It is wreaking havoc in our life. It is affecting things, and we don't realize it because we are blinded to it. We are numb to it. We don't know because we have lost the feelings. We've lost the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. That's almost what the, the nervous system is there, right? It's your your nervous system is telling you when there's a problem, right? You you might fuss about the pain. You get up out, out of bed in the middle of the night to go to the toilet and you stub your toe in the bed, right? And you fuss because you stub your toe and there's pain, right? Mm. You know that pain is a gift from God to give us preservation of life. We know that when something hurts, don't do it or that there's a problem. Whenever that leper no longer has that pain, it causes self-destruction, right? And so we can liken that to the way that the Holy Spirit in our conscience works to convict us and to try to cause us to turn away from these things that are destructive, that are painful, that are problematic in our lives, but over time we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can quench the Holy Spirit, we can sear our conscience to where it no longer bothers us. And so sin has this effect of numbing us. Ultimately, it destroys us. Leprosy destroys, sin destroys. And so it harms, it causes these problems, it gets systemic, it goes in every aspect, it touches everything in our lives, it destroys families, it destroys uh, relationships, it destroys churches, it destroys uh, your livelihood, your job, your fi- it can destroy so many different things whenever sin first starts out small and it grows. And we see that this man was full of leprosy, it had completely taken over. This is what sin does, whether it's in the life of a lost man or a saved man, Whenever sin comes into our lives, it's going to have this effect. We have to do something about it. We have to see it as as serious as what it is, because ultimately leprosy kills and sin kills. Sin kills. Whenever this man got this diagnosis of leprosy, he knew it was going to destroy him. And as I've already stated, the wages of sin is death. And so it's going to kill, it's going to destroy The Bible tells us that we have an adversary that goes about seeking whom he may devour, right? That it goes about to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what's going on. And so hopefully in this comparison, you can see the seriousness of sin. You can see that it is harmful, that it is costly. It's like a disease. And it is something that we want to put far from us, right? Society tries to dumb it down. We try to cover it up. We try to make excuses for it. But in reality, it's something that we should despise, and we should stay far away, That we should avoid like the plague, right? And so what are we going to do about it? The second thing that I want to see in this passage is not only <clears throat> uh, this problem assessed, we also have uh, powerless attempts, uh, it for us. We have powerless attempts. Because this man, whenever he caught leprosy, what is the first thing that a person is going to do, maybe after the denial, what is the first thing that a person is going to do whenever they hear such a diagnosis? Break down. Okay, maybe break down. But they're going to try to find a way to get rid of it, aren't they? Even if he knows it's leprosy, even if he knows this is something that is destructive and harmful and incurable, you're going to do everything that you can to try to get rid of it. We have the story of the woman who had the issue of blood. You remember her? Mm -hmm. And she had had it for 12 years and she had spent all of her living on doctors, on every cure that she could try to find. And she was none better. Instead, she grew worse. You know, I think maybe this leper had done the exact same thing. That he had sought everything that he could to cover it up, to cleanse it, to try to make it better. And all of it failed. And so for us as human beings, for us as sinners, we try our very best to clean ourselves up. We try our very best to heal ourselves. We'll turn over a new leaf. We will have a resolution. We can move to another country, assume a new name, try to have a new life, and all the things that we try to do are going to fail us, are going to keep us from being able to get rid of this problem that we have of sin. We can be the best moral person. We can try to make ourselves feel good. We can put on all these different things, try to cover up uh, our guilt and our shame and our sin in all these different ways. And we are still going to be a sinner. We're still going to be a leper. There is no way that a man can save himself. There's no way that our works, the Bible tells us that uh, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? And so there is nothing that we can do, no good deed that is enough, uh, that we can save ourselves, that we can heal ourselves. The other thing that this man would have tried to do, uh, we already talked about how he had to go to the priest, right? So he tried religion because at that time he went to the priests and he showed them his problem. He said, I've got this sickness, I've got this disease amongst me, and they said, we are powerless to help you all we can do is confirm that you have this sickness. He took his his disease, his leprosy to the priests, and they had no cure. Religion wasn't able to heal him. All it was able to do was to maybe give him some rituals to go through, maybe try to help him out a little bit, help him to cope or whatever. For the most part, I think it just cast him away. Could you imagine being a priest and having lepers come to you for diagnosis? You say, yes, it's leprosy. Get away from me but you don't have anything to say, any help to give. No, just get away. And all that religion can do is pile on guilt and shame and confusion and hurt and heartache. But religion cannot save us. You can go to every priest. You can be uh, baptized as a baby and every other age after that. You can go through the sacraments. You can give confession. You can do every ritual, every rite. It doesn't matter. None of them are going to take away the sin that's within you. Nothing is going to cure the leprosy because it's nothing you can do. It's nothing that religion can do. It's going to take a miracle from God. And so as we look at leprosy here, there's only two occasions in Scripture in the Old Testament where leprosy was ever healed. I referred back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy about the law and about uh, talking about the leprosy and whatnot. It tells about how to diagnose it. But there's also a uh, an offering for whenever someone is healed of leprosy. Okay? When someone is healed of leprosy, they are to take two turtle doves or two pigeons, take them over running water, wring the neck off of one of them, kill it, and pour the blood over the living one, and then let it go. That was That was the... The process, that was what they were supposed to, it's pretty messed up, isn't it? But here's the thing, they never had to do that before because no one had ever been healed of leprosy. In the Old Testament, you had Miriam, whenever she stood against Aaron, and God gave her leprosy, Aaron prayed over her, and she was healed, right? That was before the priesthood. And then the other thing was Naaman the Syrian. He wasn't a Jew, so he wouldn't have done it in the days of Elijah. Those are the only two cases of leprosy that was ever healed, and so, whenever this man comes to Jesus and he is healed, this is a this is a first. I can imagine the priest going back into the archives. Jesus says, "Go to the priest and offer up the sacrifice that it says to do in the law." I can imagine him going back to the archives and saying, "How are we supposed to do this? I've never I've never done this before, right? Because no one had ever been healed of leprosy." See, man's man's actions and his way of doing things is completely powerless. We cannot overcome it. It takes a miracle from God. And so that brings us to uh, the next thing here is this man comes to Jesus and we see the great physician's ability. What man can't do, what religion can't do, Jesus can do. Sin destroys, sin wrecks, and sin will eventually send you to hell unless you come to the great physician, unless Jesus heals that leprosy, that disease that's within you. And so whenever this man comes to Jesus, he had had years of hurt and rejection, years of being unclean, years of people avoiding him, years of people saying, you can't come around here, you can't do this, I want nothing to do with you. And whenever he comes to Jesus, there's something that's a bit heartbreaking. He looks at Jesus, and look at verse number 12 here, At the end of the verse, it says, If thou wilt, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He looks at Jesus and he says, I know you have the power. I know you have the ability. But I don't know if you have the desire. I don't know if you're willing to cleanse me. The reason I say this is heartbreaking. This man has been so rejected, so outcast. He's lost all hope and he says no one wants anything to do with me no one loves me no one cares me cares for me i'm outcast by everyone and so there's no reason why jesus should want anything to do with me there's no reason why he should desire to cleanse me or to heal me i have nothing to offer him i am just a filthy stinking leper and he says i know you can heal me if you will and i think this was this was this depressed state. This was this uh, brokenness of this man coming out, just saying, I know I'm not worthy. I know I don't deserve it. I can't imagine anyone having mercy or compassion or love toward me because I am just a leper. But if you will, I know you can cleanse me. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I will, and touches him. After me describing what leprosy was and what it did and how horrible it was, could you imagine Jesus actually reaching out and touching this man, laying hands on him, showing him love, compassion, treating him like a human being? There was no one else in this world, no one else on the planet that would have done this, but Jesus did. And I believe that is incredibly powerful for us today. Because... We believe that the lies and the condition defines us. We look at our lives and our failures and our sins and think, how could God want anything to do with me? Right? If we'll be honest with ourselves. We see ourselves in our sinful state and we say, God must be so disappointed in me. God must want nothing to do with me. How could he love me in the way that I am? And we find that He does. We come to him and say, if you will, you can save me. And he says, I'll save whosoever, anyone. He says, I'll cleanse whosoever will. And so even though everyone else saw him as dirty and rejected, Jesus saw him as loved. That's incredible, isn't it? doesn't matter how filthy, how defiled you are, Jesus will reach down. The Bible says that he rushed, rushed down into a miry pit and he put our feet on solid rock, and he established our goings, right? That's where he found us at. And so as we are sinful, as we are full of leprosy, if you will, Jesus looks on us with compassion. He loves us, and he desires to save us. And for the prodigal that has run far from home, for the one who is saved but has got out in sin, we say, I've messed up too far. I can't go back to God. He saved me, and now I've done all these things. How could I ever come back to him? He's going to be angry with me. No, he still loves us, still reaching out for us, still desiring for us to be made whole. And so this man is healed. The leprosy is cleansed from him. He is made pure. He is made uh, clean. Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone about this, but go to the priest and show them that I am able to do what religion can't do. I am able to do what man can't do. And so he shows up to the priests, like I said, they probably had to go to the archives and figure out, okay, what is the protocol? What is the the offering that must be offered up here? And they do it and they are confused. How is this man made clean that was a leper? And he gets to testify to them of Jesus. And not only to them, because remember I said that he wasn't supposed to tell anyone, right? But he told everyone. He couldn't keep it quiet. And so that's the last thing that I look at here is the praises abounding. He's going and telling everyone, because wouldn't you, if you had leprosy, if you had something so horrible and wretched and defiling and destructive as leprosy, and you met Jesus and he took it away and he gave you a new life, he brought health to your body, he restored you and changed everything. Wouldn't you be excited about it and tell everybody about it? And so he told this man tell no one and he's told us to tell everyone. And that man told everyone and we tell no one. Yeah. Well, like, what well, if he goes home and he finds his wife, you know, with another man and his children have a new father? That could, well, what? maybe do, maybe, you know, it would accepting him back. You know, yeah. Well, that's, that's a bunch of what else. We didn't know what would happen there. Well, also, a lot of times, what mm-hmm. he is also saying is, right. what, just because you tell people doesn't mean that they're going to mm-hmm. be very receptive. Receptive, yeah. But we're not to convince. We're never told no, that we no, have no. to save anyone, but we are to proclaim it. And so I believe one of the reasons why we fail to proclaim it is we don't see sin as serious as what it really is. Whenever we look at our salvation, we say, well, we weren't that bad. We're pretty good people, right? Right. He didn't save us from leprosy. He healed the common cold. We recover from the flu, not from leprosy. Isn't that, isn't that how we kind of look at it? And we don't see the healing that we received as nearly as tremendous as what it is. We take for granted what he has offered. We take for granted what he has done for us. And we don't realize the extent that he has healed us. Because, as I said, sin is serious. It has destructive consequences. It defiles every bit of us. And if not dealt with, it's going to destroy us. And if we look at sin and we see it as it is, we're going to want nothing to do with it. Whenever it does creep into our lives, we're going to seek to be cleansed from it as quickly as we can. And whenever we realize what Jesus has done for us, we are going to be grateful. We are going to be praising him. We are going to be glorifying him for the great works that he has done in our lives because just like this man of leprosy, he has saved us from death. He has changed our lives completely. He has transformed everything about us. And if we can get a hold of that, if we can see sin for what it is, it's going to make a huge difference in how we live our lives. It's going to cause us to stay away from these things. It's destroying countless Christians around this world, dabbling in a little bit of sin, not realizing how destructive it is. For the lost person, realizing the state that they're in and going to him. But you know, the first thing that we find in this man, in verse number 12, he had leprosy. He knew the state that he was in and he went to Jesus. we got to quit lying to ourselves. we got to quit making excuses. We've got to quit trying to cover it up. And we've got to be real about it and say this is a problem and it needs to be dealt with. I can't fix it. Religion can't fix it. But Jesus can. And go to him before it wreaks havoc, before it defiles, before it destroys. And so hopefully through this this morning, I've done the best that I can in drawing this parallel between sin and this disease of leprosy, hopefully you can see how destructive it is. Hopefully you can see how much you need to stay away from it, to get rid of it, and how wonderful it is of what God will do and what he has done in our lives. And so if you're here today and you never trust on Jesus as your Savior, if you've never called upon him and And confess your sin to him and ask him to save your soul, he'll cleanse you. If you've allowed, if you're here and you're saved, you've allowed things to sneak into your life. If you've been dabbling around a little bit in things that God has said not to do, he's not pushing you away. He's not rejecting you. He's not uh, mad at you, but he does want to cleanse you. And so take it to him and allow him to do the work in your life that only he can do. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we do thank you for this uh, example that you have in Scripture and how we can see the the filthiness and the destructiveness of sin and the effects that it has on us. And Lord, I just pray, help us, Lord, to uh, quit fooling ourselves and just to look at it as it truly is, that we would stay away from sin, that we would abhor it, that we would uh, distance ourselves from it, Lord. And Lord, that whenever we do fall into it, that we would go to you for cleansing. And Lord, know that you're always there and willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.